This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from the offices of Cressa. This is your host, Les Smolin, Vistage International, with my co-host, Katie Brewer, the Brewer Group, John Yetman, AEG, and Lisa Curtin, Caldwell CPAs. We've got a great lineup of guests for you on our show today. Uh, Katie, would you do the rundown, please? Today we have Carol Ann Asante, CEO of the Student and Youth Travel Association. Derek Wood, Managing Principal of Fox Architects. Scott Newman, CEO of Transparent BPO. And Pam Krulitz, founder of Optify. First up, we've got Carol Ann Asante, CEO of Student and Youth Travel Association. Welcome. Thank you. Carol Ann, what is the... uh, Student and Youth Travel Association? It's an organization of companies that are involved in student travel. Um, And uh, what do you mean by that? What I mean is that there are companies who work with teachers and schools to put on trips for kids, so like your eighth grade class trip to Washington, D.C. That's interesting. And how many uh, companies do you work with? So we have about 950 member companies, and we move about 3 million kids around the world. That's a lot of kids. Each year? Yeah. Each kids. Wow. Lots of kids. Um, And how did you get a job there? Um, I worked for another association and received an email from a friend that said you'd be perfect for this job. And why did they think you'd be perfect? A couple of reasons. Well, I had good experience and many years in working for associations, but I had also spent about eight years working at UVA and Virginia Tech, working with student groups in the summertime, and I studied abroad in high school and college. So you have some background, some history in that. Absolutely. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Middle Village, Queens, New York, just outside of Manhattan. And uh, any brothers and sisters? Yes, I am the oldest of, an, of a brother and a sister. You're the oldest of a brother and sister. Yeah. Some expression around that you used earlier? <laughs> um, which, Irish twins. Irish twins. Okay. Which means what? It means that we're very close in age. <laughs> okay. Uh, and you also come from a large family. We'll get into that more, right? Uh, Mom and Dad, what were they doing? So my father was a New York City police officer and a detective, and my mother was a manager in human resources for a bank. Uh, Unusual, they both worked. Yes. Does that mean you were latchkey kids? We were. I mean, they were home when we were younger, but then about eight, nine years old, we got our keys. Really? Yeah. Interesting. All right, John, what are you thinking? Uh, In the green room, you talked about your relationship with your grandmother. Can you talk about that? Sure. So um, my grandmother um, was really important to me, and she was actually the matriarch of a very large family. I have 50 first cousins, and so pretty amazing. Um, And I would stop by and have tea with her every afternoon on my way home from school. Somebody told you to do that? No. As a matter of fact, family was super important to us, and we visited our grandmothers, grandparents, and cousins every week. So what did you learn from your grandmother? So every day I'd stop by, and um, she went to church every morning, and she watched the news, and she would share a story with me about something that had happened in the world that day. And how you had 50 cousins, so what was your relationship with them? Did they live nearby? Yeah, we all grew up literally in the same neighborhood. We were in similar churches, schools together, played together, and, and saw each other all the time. It's impossible to get away from them, though, isn't it? Impossible. <laughs> impossible. Did that have an impact on you? I mean, did you well, want quiet time at all? Um, you know, it's great about having so many cousins is that no matter where you went, you ran into somebody you knew or, or somebody knew somebody. Um, but for quiet time, I'd often, often spend it reading at home. Hmm. What are you thinking there, uh? Jody, not Jody. Lisa, what are you thinking? Sure. What I'm thinking about is, um, so everywhere you went, everybody knew you, and you knew them. How did that affect you, and how does that affect you today? 
What was really important about it, or felt affects me today, is that it um, meant that relationships with people were very important. I think we were natural networkers at a very early age in our family. We were close with our neighbors, close with our families, and you were constantly connecting about where you lived and, and who you knew. When you were growing up, were people helping each other all the time in your family? Yes, so that was a part of, from a very early age, um, maybe even at five, we had chores, and part of that was to sweep the front lawn and then help, you know, we'd go next door and ask our neighbors if they needed help. Um, and that led into getting different jobs and, and helping people in the neighborhood. And so when you think about what you do today, do you think that helping each other when you were younger translates into what you do today with your association members? Absolutely. People join associations not because they have to, but because they want to. And it's either to learn about careers or work better in their professions or help their companies. And so we're always looking for ways um, to help our members do better. Hmm. What are you thinking, Katie? Carol Ann, uh, did you travel when you were young? Yes. So every year, our family took a major family trip, and we would plan all year, and we would have those old-fashioned triptychs out on the table, and we'd get a chance to read through them and look at the maps, and we saved all year for this one very big family trip. And did that play into your interest in travel later in your career? Absolutely. Um, I think that chance to travel when I was young then when I got into high school, we traveled, and then actually in college, I, I traveled abroad. What does travel mean to you? Travel, I really believe, introduces you to the world. It introduces you to so many people, different cultures. You get just this keen awareness of the people around you and that we're all really different. Why is that important? I think it's important is in connecting and understanding people and having a real natural empathy. When you travel, you learn about people from the South and the North, you know, the West Coast, the East Coast, other countries, and that everybody's different, but you learn to value what makes them all different, and you learn to appreciate it. Why is that important in what you do? Well, certainly representing travel organizations and having the opportunity to take students, middle school and high school kids, often this is their very first trip away from home. And it's their first opportunity to travel outside the neighborhood and see something different than the, than the kids they're used to. Hmm. John, what are you thinking? Going back to when you were a kid, so you said when you wanted to get away from your 50 cousins, you would read. <laughs> what, what would you read? Um, I read lots of different genres, but one of my favorite was reading about King Arthur and the Knights. And I loved series where it told a story from when someone was young um, until they were older. Hmm. Uh, so how does that inform what you do today? Well, when I look at the stories of, say, King Arthur and such, there was always a hero or a heroine. Um, they overcame some, some major battle or something important. And there was somewhere where they were helping people in that community. And there was always some sense of honor and integrity that came out of those stories. And I think that's always been a part of my life. So do you view your life as a story? Yes. <laughs> what is that story? Well, I always like to tell um, many that I've had many different careers in my life, um, and it's been a great opportunity to, I've moved around a lot, I've had a lot of different careers, and had an opportunity to see many countries. And your father, he was a police officer and a detective. What did you, what do you bring from your father to work every day? Well, as a police officer in our community, there was that sense that should anything happen, you went to the police officer. And, and it was a part of his role to help anyone, no matter what that situation was. And so it built a sense of helping you, others in our community. And what do you bring into your job? That that's part of my role as a leader with our organization is that we're here to help others. And no matter what's happening, we have to stop and answer the phone and try and help someone solve a problem. And your mother was in HR. Mm -hmm. What do you bring from her every, to work every day? She taught us a lot about people, um, that they're all different kind of people that make up a, a company or a family and that you should appreciate everybody for who they are. And there's a sense of honor and integrity about understanding others. When you think about your grandmother going back to stopping by her house every day in the afternoon having tea, do you have one thing that lives with you every day that you think about that your grandmother said to you? She was really quiet when she talked, um, and she um, always had um, her Bible out with her. And there was always something that was tied, a sense of faith um, and a connection to others. So what I carry with me is a sense of faith around the people that I meet um, and an honest belief that, you know, people are really good and that they 
they should be helping each other. Right. And so do you still drink tea today? <laughs> I have learned to drink coffee, but every time I drink tea, I feel like I should have a social tea cookie next to it exactly. because that's what we had with the tea every day. Where does this theme of, of honor show up for you as, as a young child, 8 to 14 maybe? Well, I think certainly in the work that my parents did, um, this sense of community and family. Um, and then also it was really important in our house to tell the truth, that no matter what you did or what happened, um, you need to tell the truth, that nothing was worth lying for. Even at, at risk of getting a, um, I don't know what the, what the uh, consequent was for failing to tell the truth. Yeah, they absolutely instilled in us such a sense that telling the truth was most important, that you almost you were felt almost guilty if you didn't tell the truth. So really, it was so strong that it really pervaded our lives, and, and hopefully we've been able to instill that in our kids. Uh, do you have kids? I do. I have a son and a daughter. And uh, what lesson have you brought forward from your youth that you've shared with them in shaping who they are? Well, number one, that they needed to volunteer, and they, they still complain about the fact that they had to carry boxes in and out of the church or the school. <laughs> um, but they do have a sense of volunteering, and just last week my daughter did a community project in Austin cleaning up around a park. So I think that's important. Like mother, like daughter. Great. We've been talking with uh, Carol um, Ann Asante. Carolyn Asante, CEO of the Student and Youth Travel Association. What's the website address? SYTA.org. Thanks again. Uh, don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. And we'll be back in a moment right after this business spotlight. This is Katie Brewer with the Brewer Group, and this is your business spotlight. Joining us today is Bob Anderson with Cressa. What is Cressa? Cressa is a commercial real estate company that works exclusively with tenants around the world. And what's your role with the company? I'm a principal with Cressa. And what do you like most about your job? I like working with people. I like solving problems uh, from a real estate perspective uh, from start to finish. What makes your organization special in your view? We are actually the largest in the world that um, exclusively represents tenants and users. And represents tenants. Explain more a little bit about that. Well, in real estate, commercial real estate, there's the landlord side and the tenant side. Um, we work with only tenants and negotiate on behalf of them with the landlords. And what do the tenants appreciate about you and your company? That we work just for them, um, that we solve their problems, and we look at you know just things from their perspective. Who is your perfect client? Uh, perfect client is one that um, trusts us, um, includes us in the organization and the, and the whole process from start to finish, as opposed to just at the end of the process. So we understand more about what their goals and objectives are and help them solve those problems. And what do you enjoy most about your work? I like the different aspects of the work uh, from mainly working with people, but um, there's the marketing side, there's the uh, real estate side, there's a legal side, documentation, uh, design, and construction side, um, which is, I like incorporating all of those things in, in the process. And what's the website address for your company? Website is cressa.com. It's C-R-E-S-A.com. Thank you. We've been speaking today with Bob Anderson with Cressa. This is Katie Brewer, and this has been your Business Spotlight. And your name is? Jeff Lawson. And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special? Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels, and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia. National Conference Center. How large or how small is this organization? Um, the conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow, this is a large organization, isn't it? It is, very large. Uh-huh. And what's your role in the organization? I'm the general manager, and I have oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well, what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? Make sure I have a, make sure eight executive committee members and a, and a full uh, staff of 210 do their day jobs. So how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis or daily basis or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a weekly basis on a full house, we'll have uh, 900 per night, um, seven nights, uh, 6,300, which translates to about 20,000 meals a week. Wow. And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that? No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh-huh. Do you, wh- what do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people. 
working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients. They're wonderful. So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on at one end of our business, and at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings and such. So you're, you're, well, you're running a 24 by 7 facility, aren't you? We are. Uh-huh. What's the website address of this organization? Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again. Conferencecenter.com. And your name again is? Jeff Lawson. And the name of the organization? Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And this has been your Business Spotlight. We're back, and you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Les Smolin. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our next guest, Derek Wood, Managing Principal at Fox Architects. Um, Derek, what's Fox Architects? We are a D.C.-based architecture and interiors firm. We're about 75 people. Uh, We do all architecture and interior, mostly corporate commercial, and we do have a national presence. And uh, how'd you get a job there? I started there about 2006, so a little over 15 years now. That's a Uh, long time, isn't it? It is a long time. Uh, Committed to seeing this grow, yes. Why is that important to you? Architecture, I think you have to bring in a a lot of commitment to get success over time. And um, for me, this has really been a story of, um, you know, doing work internationally at other firms, but then really wanting to see the work that we're doing and impact the community around me. What do you think they saw in you that basically said you would be a perfect managing principal? (laughs) Um, I think there's been a dedication to what I've what I've done, but also growing the firm and growing other people. And that's very important within our culture and what we do day to day. Is that important to you? It is important to me. Okay, good. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Fairfax Station, Virginia. So the DC metro area. That's correct. Um, Why Fairfax Station? So my parents moved from DC right around the time I was born and they built their own house on eight acres of land. That was a lot of woods and not many houses in between. Was that uh, an impressionable act on their part when you were growing up or later on for you? I don't think they intended it, but it certainly was. I I think that definitely has led to my architecture uh, life now. What are you thinking, John? So eight acres, that's that's a big swath of land. What were you doing on those eight acres? There's a lot of trees, a lot of big oak trees, but uh, we would build a lot of forts, get out there with our friends. It was a highly organized event where... Mom and dad would say, go leave the house, and you were out all day. You played all day, uh, and you used your imagination quite a bit, and we built a lot. So did you like seeing those forts materialize, and does that sort of translate to today when you see projects come to fruition? Yeah, I think that building part and designing part's always been something that I've been interested in, but actually like making it and then tearing it apart and doing something new, yeah, that's, uh, that's what makes it interesting. What was your but, role in all that? Um, you know, I think getting friends together, uh, different friends that, you know, and again, there weren't a lot of houses out there. So, you know, it, it was who, who were the kids at your age and you go out and play with. But, yeah, it was like this organized event where, you know, you actually spent time doing something together and was building. It, did they go to your house specifically for that purpose because you had all these acres? Um, there was a lot of land in between, so we, we would run between each other's. But, yeah, there was, uh, there was but we had a gully within ours as well. So there was a uh, water area as well. And in the, in the winter, that was good uh, sledding, all that kind of stuff. So, huh. What else are you thinking, John? So uh, you're, when you went to school, did you start out in architecture? No, actually, I went to Dickinson College as an undergrad, and I got a liberal arts major. Uh, I ended up majoring English, but I intentionally didn't want to study architecture at that point. I, I don't think I wanted to have that focus, and I think it was more about learning many different subject types. And I think in my career now, that's been very helpful because, you know, it what I, what we do in architecture is really having to synthesize lots of different ideas and it's not always it is we have to manifest it through design but we really need to understand what people do you know in what, the green room you were talking about um your experience with lacrosse yep. and that you enjoyed playing lacrosse so tell me a little bit more about that what position you played and and just how that affects you today yeah i played a defensive position and uh, lacrosse is a really strategic game and i think i really enjoyed that from a early point um a a lot of that was and the strategic 
having mission vision now within a firm and then understanding like implications trying to connect dots right. how, you, how many years did you play lacrosse um i started in about sixth grade and then played throughout college i should play it all today not anymore <laughs> do, you, do you have any kids i have two children i have a son and a daughter and they they play lots of sports and one they one is lacrosse lacrosse wonderful what as a mid-defensive person what what's that got to do with you know the team aspect um if you don't if you're not communicating well on a field your results will be very poor <laughs> so I think Did that one, fall to you, the responsibility for that? That can. And, and there was an instance where we lost our goalie and uh, I was a, a freshman. So I was playing on a varsity team and I had to step up and play goalie. And uh, when you're in that spot, you have a view of the field where you need to be calling out everyone's position and what they do. So that's just an instance where if you communicate better the results are are much better and that's that see, view though that you're talking about you have a wider view than most people uh, yes and then as a managing principal now i've got to have that wider view as well i also have to put together not only my projects but what is the firm you know what is the overall direction of firm and, and where is where are we going when you were in high school, you had a teacher by the name of Dr. Judy Brent, an English teacher, who was very influential towards you. Um, so with regards to how you plan out things today, what did she do to inspire you to do what you do today? She was a, she was a very influential person. I, I think what, she, what I saw in her was, one, she was a learner, but she really, um, she, she saw in her students' potential. And I think not everyone always sees that, but she was really one that saw potential and then really got a lot more out of the out of all her students what did she get out of you that no other teacher could uh i think there was times when you know you're what what is your potential are you are you're underperforming and, the, and she didn't come on uh strong in a way that that was uh you know demeaning or anything like that but it was more it was more encouraging but it was also that you have lots of potential you need to take advantage did of. did you it. realize that then i did and she certainly helped me realize that okay, good katie what are you thinking so tell me a little bit about your parents what did your mom do for a living my mother's a graphic designer um she did graphic design for um government agencies and what do you bring from your mother to work every day um, you know, my mother my mother worked full-time, and not everyone's mother did back then, and I really did appreciate that she had a really strong work ethic, and I saw that and very early on. your father, what did he do? He's the chief curator for the Marine Corps Museum. And what did you learn from him when you were young? I understand that you would go to the museum when you were young. So at that time, the museum was at the Navy Yard in Washington, D.C., and um, he would take me down there, and from a very early age, I got to see all of the many items that they had in the museum, and that spanned the entire history of the Marine Corps Museum. And what was really interesting there, it's known as the Heritage Museum, and, and I think that was an impression on me very early on. That, How so? Well, that, that, that there really is this commitment to who you are, what your mission is, and really, if you're going to succeed, you've got to have that commitment in order to to succeed how old were you when you started to form that thinking i i can definitely remember being there at three and four but I, as over the years i would go down there uh seeing more of it going behind the displays it, you really get to see a lot of what occurs in the uh the the real uh treasure of um you know taking a heritage and and really um and seeing how important it is to them and their culture. And how does that affect what you do today in terms of how you lead? Um, we, we have to take very different ideas, uh, synthesize those very quickly, but we are a culture that really is about a learning and a development culture. And so we have to develop people constantly. Um, and that's how we do the great work we do. So that's key to our business and it's key to what we do. And I very much think it's what I want to focus on. Go ahead, John. Derek, in, uh, in lacrosse, success is winning. How do you define success in your job today? <laughs> uh, great relationships that over time you really are building uh, 
many the ability to build a more holistic um, environments but also really ones that impact people more holistically how about when you see a project to fruition um, yes if you if you're only architecture on paper is is only on paper so actually seeing it through seeing it get built that's really where it happens and then people much after much longer after we're there and how they um, populate that environment is really important it's fascinating. Hey, uh, Derek, what's the website address for uh, Fox Architects? Fox Architect or fox-architects.com. Uh, thanks. We've been speaking with Derek Wood, Managing Principal at Fox Architects. Um, don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. And we'll be right back after this break. You now can recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading Business with Heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Yes, recognize, you can recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading Business with Heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Simply visit executiveleadersradio.com, securely enter their info, and we'll reach out to spotlight your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading Business with Heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Don't wait. This radio and online social media and search engine exposure is quite valuable to your advisors. Yes, this radio and online social media exposure is free and quite valuable to your business advisors who deserve to be recognized. Visit executiveleadersradio.com now to nominate your deserving business advisors. Recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading business with heart radio show, Executive Leaders Radio. Yes, recognize, you can recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading business with heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Simply visit executiveleadersradio.com, securely enter their info, and we'll reach out to spotlight your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading business with heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Don't wait. This radio and online social media and search engine exposure is quite valuable. Yes, this radio and online social media and search engine exposure is quite valuable to your business advisors who deserve to be recognized. Visit executiveleadersradio.com now to nominate your deserving business advisors for free exposure. We're back, and you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Les Smolin, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to our next guest, Scott Newman, CEO of Transparent BPO. Scott, what is Transparent BPO? We are a uh, customer service contact center where operations are based out of the country of Belize, and uh, we do sales, customer service, and technical support for a variety of clients. And how big or small is this organization? We're just over $20 million in annual revenue and uh, just over 1,000 employees today. In Belize? In Belize. Interesting. And uh, how'd you get a job there? Uh, myself and my co-founders, we started the business back in 2009 um, and been growing there ever since. So you have a co-founder? Yes, we have, uh, I have two business partners. Okay. And um, where'd you grow up? I actually grew up in the uh, Maryland area in Montgomery County. And uh, mom and dad, what were they doing? So my mom uh, was a publisher for a, for a magazine, and my dad uh, worked for Booz Allen Hamilton uh, as a consultant for 35 years. And uh, you also have, what, brothers and sisters? What do you got going there? I do. I have a younger brother. He's two and a half years younger than me. Okay. And uh, something happened with your dad at 17, you said? Yeah. You know, at 16, um, he was diagnosed with leukemia uh, after almost a two-year battle. Unfortunately, he passed uh, when I was 17 years old. Hmm. And, and people were reminding me that I knew your dad. I worked with him. Um, all right. Who's got the next question? So, Scott, um, tell, tell me a little bit about how that uh, your dad's passing affected uh, the relationship with your younger brother and, and sort of the role that you took in the family after that point. Yeah, you know, um, my brother and I were very close when we were younger. Um, and then on his passing, everybody handles uh, something like that in their own way. And um, he kind of uh, uh, recessed a little bit. And uh, I tried to step up to, to handle more of the things my father was handling. But um, over the last 10, 15 years especially, uh, my brother and I have really uh, redeveloped that relationship. What do you mean you stepped up? 
Well, you know, the, my father was sort of the role model and the idol and the, and the leader in the house. And um, when that happens, I sort of felt a responsibility to step up and try to uh, help the family any way that I could. Mom didn't ask? You just kind of naturally did that? No, my mom was dealing with things herself as well. And she was trying to be the leader and, and keep us together. And I just kind of felt like it was my responsibility to, to help out any way that I could. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Andrew, on that you want to follow? Um, tell us, you were talking earlier about... Um your first job and how uh, you had that entrepreneurial spirit uh, as a little kid and how that kind of developed over time. Yeah, I, I think I was fortunate because my parents were very supportive of my entrepreneurial spirit. Spirit. So, um, you know, when I was about 13 years old, uh, my neighbors were selling lemonade on, on the street like many kids do for 25 cents a cup. And I said, you can never make a living doing that. So I uh, went to my parents and said, I want to sell snow cones. And they immediately jumped in the car and got me a little ice shaver and some flavorings. And we started selling snow cones that summer. And it was great. What did you learn about yourself doing that? Um, I think just that, you know, you're, if you have creative ideas and ways to, to do something different, if you have a supportive people around you, you can really accomplish whatever you want. Hmm. Andrew, what are you thinking? In the green room, we were talking about sports, and uh, you played a lot of sports growing up, but soccer became uh, your main sport. Uh, tell us about that. What position you played? Yeah, I played a striker. Um, I played through my whole life. Uh, I've had four knee surgeries since then, so that's no longer a thing. But um, I played uh, for four years in college as well. And uh, talk to us about the characteristics of of a striker and and, – that wasn't your first position on the field, I don't think, right? No, I used to play defense, um, and I, I made the transition probably when I was 13 or 14 years old. And I was never the fastest or most skilled uh, player, but I was very strategic and tactical. And so uh, I always was able to be in the right place at the right time, and, and that's really what my strength was. I wasn't the most talented player on the field by any stretch of the imagination. And where, did, where does that carry today? I think it's sort of the same idea of being very strategic. I think one of my skills is to be able to look ahead um, and and be very uh, planned out and thoughtful in in how we tackle different problems in in business today. Who in your family has that trait? Um, you know, I, I think my father definitely had that. He was not uh, he wasn't a very loud guy. Um, he didn't raise his voice very often, but everything he said was very calculated and thoughtful. Um, but, you know, at the same time, my mom was really that entrepreneur like I was. Um, and I didn't realize that till later in my life, but she really was the risk taker in the family and has been very supportive over the last 10 years of running Transparent. What do you mean? What do you mean she was the, the risk taker? Uh, I mean, she w- was always a little bit more. She had the entrepreneurial bug as well. It just it kind of manifests itself in different ways that I didn't recognize until I got a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has always been supportive of all of my ideas, is cr- all my crazy business ideas. And But she also has the ability to, to pull me back into place when I uh, <laughs> am a little bit too far outside of the box. <laughs> Scott, clearly uh, your mom is a massive, uh, she encourages you tremendously. So when you went to her when you were 27 and said, hey, I want to move down to Belize and start this company, what was her initial reaction? I mean, the initial reaction I probably can't share here, but it <laughs> uh, it took her a moment to wrap her head around that. Um, but then immediately she was supportive. She knew it was something I was serious about. Um, you know, she wanted to see all the details, like show me your business plan and financials to, to, to prove that it was a legitimate thing that I was about to undertake. But once all that was vetted out, I mean, she was all in and supported me uh, in multiple ways to help that transition. And as she still a sounding board and a, an advisor for you today? A hundred percent. You know, when I'm faced with things that I don't really know how to handle, I'm, she's a great resource to go to and, and get a difference of opinion from somebody that's not entrenched in the day-to-day. Got it. And just one last question. Why did you pick Belize? You know, Belize is the only Latin American country where English is the native and primary language. And so we really wanted to stand up a, a very high quality operation for our clients. So um, that was just sort of a natural choice for us. Hmm. Fred, what are you thinking? Scott, you mentioned uh, in your childhood your father had to travel quite a bit for work responsibilities. How has that impacted your family and work decisions? Yeah, I remember um, when I was in middle and high school, always coming home and asking my mom if my dad would be home for dinner that night. And 80% of the time it was no because he was traveling for work. Um, But one of the things I I took away from that really is I I wanted to, you know, in in college during spring break, my senior year, I was interviewing for jobs. I wasn't out partying. And I had my first job three days after I graduated college. Um, But I've always taken the approach that I want to put in the hard work and the long hours early on and take chances when I was younger so that as I've started my own family, I can be more present for them uh, and be involved in my son's, you know, sports and activities in school. So how's that working so far? 
you know, I'm still trying to find that balance because, you know, from an entrepreneur, you always want to be involved and have your hands in everything and influence it. But, um, you know, certainly have some of the uh, afforded me some opportunities to be a little bit more flexible with my schedule. Um, You know, I have a one year old now and and I'm married and um, certainly we do a lot more things uh, as a family that maybe I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do otherwise. Well, and it sounds like you also married someone that has the same kind of commitment. I, definitely. You know, um, they, my wife uh, quit her job. Um, she's, she was a school psychologist, and uh, she actually took a, a job in the business uh, working as our employee engagement manager, which is a new initiative for us. And uh, we travel to Belize uh, probably 50% of our time now uh, with, our, with our son. And it's been a, a really fun thing to do and a, and a great next step. So how is that going to impact going forward as your son gets older and maybe more kids down the road? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we're kind of just taking, uh, you know, one one day, one month at a time and seeing where it develops. Um, you know, hopefully one day my son will take an interest in, in what we're doing as well. But, uh, you know, I'm very excited about the idea that they're traveling with me and being involved in the business on a day-to-day basis. What do you think they, uh, how do you think they see you uh, through what it is you invite them to go experience? I mean, not many kids get to experience traveling to another country because that's where dad's business is. I mean, so what's their reaction to all that? Uh, well, my one-year-old hasn't really told me anything quite yet. So, uh, but, but uh, any you know, day now, any, any day, day, right? That's right. Um, but you know, my wife. Uh, I, ever since we we started dating, she uh, took an interest in my business and what we were doing. And I think the fact that now she can really be a hundred percent all in uh, has been an amazing experience so far. And um, I think she's really appreciated that move as well. What do you mean all in? Well, you know, you're working another job and just sort of you're on the on the outskirts and just hearing about what's happening at Transparent BPO. Now she's in the trenches with us and she's involved with the employees and the management team um, and actually making a direct impact on the business. Does it help or hurt the relationship? I think we're still figuring that out. Uh, so far, it's been a great help, um, you know, and we have a lot more to talk about and um, it's been great. Go ahead, Gabe. Scott, in the uh, green room, you, you mentioned that your dad was uh, the champion for the people. And clearly you're doing that with your business today. Um, had you made that connection long time ago and this is something that you wanted to do as far as bring your wife in and be the engagement officer? You know, it, I didn't, I've, I've always had a, a passion for, you know, working with people and wanting to see, you know, I take great responsibility with the thousand jobs and lives that, that we're responsible for with Transparent BPO. Um, you know, I, I never really thought that we would get this far in, in terms of the development, but the fact that the opportunity afforded itself over time, I think is really what, what I'm very proud and, and happy about. But, um, you know, putting people first is the most important thing in our business. And this is just another way we can do that. So that's the focus internally, but it sounds like it's also part of your value proposition to your clients. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we stood up our own bus system and have employee discount cards, and we have our own restaurants on our properties and our buildings. We try to do a lot of things that give back to our employees that make their lives just a little bit easier. So that's always been a, a huge piece of who we are as an organization. That's and then how does that translate to the client experience? Uh, happy employees have happy clients, and, and that's just the motto that we have, and we try to make sure we're honoring that at all times. Hey, Scott, what's the uh, website address for Transparent BPO? It's transparentbpo.com. We've been talking with uh, Scott Newman, CEO of Transparent BPO. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be right back after this break. And your name is? Ramon Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization? Loudon Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some something special about the Loudon Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver $8 worth of care. And what kind of clinic is this? Who are, you, who are you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do? So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200% or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a, a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver you know, anywhere from $8 uh, in care for our patients. Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the cost of health care down and therefore multiplying the dollars. And making one of, it, one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And didn't, ah, interesting. So private businesses and individuals can get involved. And didn't you Absolutely. tell me you had a couple of health care challenges yourself? What were they? I have. I've had four open heart surgeries, and mm-hmm. it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care 
differently than most people would. What did you, what did you learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't? I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a, a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, mm-hmm. parents, mm-hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope. Uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them. What's the website address for the Loudon Free Clinic? Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N freeclinic.org. We've been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your business spotlight. Thank you. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, Some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, they, the, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh-huh. what's happening. So your idea, your, your thought is in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm-hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine to five kind of job oh, for you? Hell no. It's a lot longer uh-huh. than that, baby. So do you have to you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. Bostonbid.com, and, and you can download the Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have uh, let me have that website address one more Bostonbid. time. Bostonbid.com. It's B A. Give me the spelling on that. B A L L S T O N B I D dot com. Excellent. Your name again is Tina Leone. And the name of the organization is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight. Back in a moment. We're back, and you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our next guest, Pam Krulitz, founder at Optify. Welcome, Pam. Thank you. Pam, what is Optify? We are a leadership coaching firm. We work with organizations to help develop the next generation of leaders. Um, by bringing coaching across broadly to the organization, to mm-hmm. lots of folks. And how big or small is this organization? We've got about 40 coaches now, and uh, we're still young. We are only about a year and a half old, but we're growing very quickly. Interesting. Um, and um, how did you get a job there? I started the company. <laughs> what were you thinking at that time? <laughs> I've been coaching for about 15 years and uh, doing one-on-one work mainly with executives and mm-hmm. really felt a passion for bringing that experience to more people in organizations and earlier in their careers. It's a big risk though, isn't it? Kind of striking out and doing that? It was, and especially um, a lot of people at my age are in the later years of their career and kind of winding down, but I decided to start a new company and um, just had a real passion for it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, hmm. so, do you have any entrepreneurs in your family that would have explained this behavior of yours? Not entrepreneurs. I did start out my career as an entrepreneur. I was in the IT consulting business and uh, started with a large company and then about five years into my career started, um, joined a very small startup company and we grew that over a period of about five years and sold it in the mid-90s. Oh, interesting. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Columbus, Indiana. And what was that like? That was a small Midwestern town that um, had one company Primarily, it was the headquarters of Cummins Engine Company, and a uh, lot in the in the town revolved around that around that company. So, a company town. Company town. Yep. What impact does that have on a, on a child growing up? I think it it provided a sense of community. There was a real um, real tight community that developed around it. Everybody worked at Cummins or a peripheral company to Cummins, um, a company uh, organization that was supporting supporting Cummins, so it it did provide a small sense of community. Mm -hmm. And what was mom and dad doing? My dad was a finance guy and an attorney, and he was uh, part of the organization that managed the um, assets of the person who had founded Cummins. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. 
a stay-at-home mom. Did you have uh, any other siblings? I did. I had an older sister. And so she was there taking care of you all? No, she was only 15 months older than me, so we were very close in age. Yep. Huh. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are you thinking, Katie? How young were you when you started earning money? Oh, I started earning money when I was in sixth grade, I think. I started babysitting for kids in the neighborhood. Um, How did you get the work? Mainly through just neighborhood connections. I think people who knew my parents would um, would ask would ask us to babysit for their kids. Yeah, back in those days, taking care of younger kids when you were eleven wasn't considered unusual. Why did they trust you? I think they trusted my family. I think they trusted uh, they knew, they knew me. They knew the na- neighbors. Um, word of mouth. There was a probably a good referral network. And what did you do with the money? I saved I saved quite a bit of it um, and probably bought a lot of clothes. <laughs> and what type What type of personality trait did you bring to it versus the other kids that babysat? I don't know. I think I was always wanting to just have fun with the kids, and um, I was close and relatively close in age. So I think we would just have fun together. Um, tried to try to enforce the rules, but also have a lot of fun. It's a lot of responsibility for an 11 year old, isn't it? Yeah, it was funny. I don't remember thinking of it that way, but now that I reflect back on it, yes, it was. Um, but at the time, it just seemed a natural thing to do. Yeah. What else are you thinking, Katie? So when you when you worked with all the um, other kids in the neighborhood, um, what was your role in the neighborhood? I think I was a kind of a connector. I brought a lot of people together and um, was pretty social. Um, and how does that translate into what you do today? Yeah, as a leadership coach, I think part of what we need to do is um, really connect with people deeply so they trust you and um, and be able to, to get to know people really quickly at a kind of deep level. Um, and I think I learned that through those neighborhood friends. And I also moved when I was in uh, seventh grade and i think that move also helped me learn to connect with people really really quickly Mm. what are you thinking john so when you were young you were involved with gymnastics can you talk about that and what you've taken from that that you use today yeah i was a gymnast for for years and years and um really enjoyed the progressive nature of learning you could start out trying to learn a new skill like a back handspring and you know you break down the skill and you learn different parts of it and you do it with support and help from a coach they'd spot you and then eventually you could do it on your own and it was just a great feeling of accomplishment um, to learn something and then see the the fruits of it did those coaches inspire you they did. I had great coaches along the way, and um, they also created a really nice atmosphere on the team. I remember feeling like we were all friends and we would support each other um, as we were as we were com- also competing. But it felt like a, a nice family atmosphere. Why was that important? Um, I think when people feel supported, they and I guess I understand this from my coaching work. But when people feel supported, they um, are more willing to take risks, more willing to try new things, um, and more willing to give their all and have a sense of commitment to what they're doing. So going back to what John said, how does that influence how how you were approaching gymnastics then, not now, but then? How'd that, show, how'd that show up for you when you were younger? When it, I was younger, yeah. I think I just I had a real sense of commitment to it and a sense of wanting to contribute to the team. Okay. Hmm. And then when you moved, you moved in seventh grade. Um, yeah. In the green room, you said you moved to northern Virginia, and yeah. you um, checked out the local gymnastics scene, and it di- didn't quite go the way you thought it was. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I moved to northern Virginia, and it was um, a lot more competitive, the, the, the gymnastics scene, the place that I went to try out it was more about the scores it was more about the results it wasn't as much about the process and um, I've always felt like people learn and grow and do better when when the environment and the process is conducive to learning Um, it just didn't feel quite right to me and so today if you had someone who uh, went somewhere new and they try wanted to try something new and they were afraid to do how would you coach them yeah I think there's a there's a real question about um, either making that choice to step into something that's uncomfortable and to take a risk and to commit to something that you may not know how it's going to turn out, even if it doesn't feel quite right. Um, and then on the other side, there are times when it makes sense to say, this isn't this isn't right, this isn't for me. And so as coach, we're really helping clients uncover that and discern for them what the right answer is. So what's something a coach said to you early on that you carry with you today? 
I'm sorry, what was that again? What is something a coach said to you early on oh. that you carry with you today? Yeah, I think it was just trying your best, continuing to show up. I tended to be a little bit social when I was on the gymnastics team, and sometimes they'd have to redirect me to, to stay on task. Um, I sometimes had more fun you know, hanging out with people than, than getting the work done, and I think that's something that um, I continue to, to focus on in my work. Did you have a, any sense of uh, commitment or responsibility to the coach? I mean, were you concerned that uh, you weren't going to do well? And Yeah, I think the best coaches that I had were ones that really did instill that sense of um, commitment and wanting to do well for them, wanting to, to make sure that um, the team was successful and, and make sure that they were um, – the, seeing the results of all of what they were doing to put into all of us. Yeah, so so you coach leaders, mm -hmm. right? And and part of coaching, I'm sure, is developing culture. Mm -hmm. So you saw your team in Indiana, which had a good culture. Then you saw the team in Virginia, which had mm -hmm. maybe not so good a culture. Did, did that influence how you train people today? Yeah, I think helping people understand that as a leader they shape the environment of the organization they um they really do affect the culture that's created and it really the culture stems from the leader's values and who they are as a person um, sometimes leaders believe that their job is just getting the, getting the work done and helping them understand that a big piece of the job is also shaping the culture in the organization so what's the most satisfying part of coaching people is seeing them learn and grow, seeing those aha moments. Um, I had a client that I worked with 15 years ago who now runs a huge chunk of an organization, like 4,000 people, and I ran into her, and she still remembers some of those conversations and what it meant and how it shaped her thinking and her growth as she continued through her career. Hmm. Can you talk about your older sister and your relationship with her? Yeah, my older sister's 15 months older than me, and so we were only a year apart in school. We had a lot of the same friends. We ran in the same circles, mm -hmm. and um, we were we tended to be a little bit competitive as well. She's more of an artist than I am, um, but I think I learned a sense of competitiveness, um, learned that sometimes that works well and serves you because it can inspire you to do more, and sometimes it can get in the way when you take it a little bit too far. <laughs> Did something happen when you were younger where that came to came to light um i was i was always pretty competitive in all the way through school i remember um at the end of high school they did class ranks and i was just determined i was gonna you know boost my class rank in the last semester and um so that competitiveness came across in <laughs> in a lot of ways that enhanced your relationship with her sometimes and sometimes it didn't yeah what's that relationship like today my sister. Yes, you um, and your sister. We are. We see each other on occasion. We work work well together, but um, we aren't as close as maybe we would like to be. Go ahead, Katie. You want to ask something? So, as you were, as you were, um, as she was an artist, and you were not an artist. Yeah. What aspect do you did you learn from your sister during that? Day? Yeah, I I remember thinking, um, being the younger one, that I was a lot of times I would follow in her footsteps and I remember there were times when she would do something she'd take on an activity or um, something that didn't really appeal to me and having to f learn to find my own voice and say I'm not just the shadow of my sister I can find my own interests and, and forge my own path and I think that was important we've been speaking with Pam uh, Krulitz founder at Optify Pam what's the website address it's optifycoaching.com um We've uh, had an interesting show today. Uh, Katie, would you do a rundown of who we've had on the show? We've had Caroline Ann Asante, CEO of the Student and Youth Travel Association, Derek Wood, Managing Principal of Fox Architects, Scott Newman, CEO of Transparent BPO, and P Pam Krulitz, founder of Optify. And this is Les Smullen at Vistage International. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Katie Brewer, the Brewer Group, John Yetman, AEG, Lisa Curtin, Caldwell CPAs, for helping develop our storyline and hopefully delivering to our listening audience an entertaining and educational show. And I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website, Executive Leaders Radio, to learn more about our executive leaders. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.